This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kulin Nation. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land and pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening today. In 2002, Glassjaw from Hempstead, New York released their sophomore album, Worship and Tribute. The band was a major part of the Long Island music scene and accredited as being a significant influence in the underground post-hardcore scene, with a sonic appeal and live show aspired to and mimicked by many. Formed in 1993 by frontman Daryl Palumbo and guitarist Justin Beck, these two members remain Glassjaw's foundation to this day, despite numerous lineup changes. After an EP in 1997, Glassjaw released their debut record, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence, in 2000 on Roadrunner Records, before departing the metal label for major label Warner Brothers. 2002's Worship and Tribute marked a departure from the band's early new metal roots and showcased a more thoughtful and considered approach to songwriting than its predecessor, demonstrating a finer balance between delicacy and chaos, and a significant improvement in lyrical content. Palumbo's well-documented battle with Crohn's disease, along with lineup instability, have contributed to the band only releasing three full-length records up until now. The band's ability to retain an audience and continue to sell out shows on the back of 20-year-old records is a testament to the legacy of their music, but also provides a bittersweet experience for long-term fans as a vast number of Glassjaw diehards, particularly in Australia, had to wait until they were older, sweatier and bolder to shout the songs they loved as teens. Thankfully though, these songs still endure to this day. With a jazz-esque lack of rules to their songwriting, a unique interplay of musicianship and lyricism, and a profound influence on the post-hardcore music scene, Glassjaw possess an unfading legacy as essential scene listening. I'm Paul, alongside me is Nick. Today on Violence and Sunshine, we're exploring Glassjaw's worship and tribute. So the streak seems to be continuing a bit here, Paul, I reckon. We've been listening to Glassjaw for a long time and there is undoubtedly some pretty impressive bass work across their albums. So to kick things off, I've got to ask you, do you think you might owe a certain bass playing section of our audience a bit of an apology? Now, Nick, that is a fantastic question. Do I owe the bass players an apology? Because we've had back to back to back amazing bass players. You know, we've done Coheed. We've done Dance Gavin Dance, we've done The Receiving End of Sirens, and now here we are with Glassjaw with this incredible bass work. And I do need to say sorry to bass players. I need to sincerely say I'm sorry that none of you were good enough to play bass on this record <laughs> and that Justin Beck, the guitarist, had to play the bass. <laughs> I'm so sorry that none of you were that good. So, bass players... You got what you deserved. There is a guitarist playing bass on this record. <laughs> that is news to me, man. I did not know that. But um, as someone who has often um, trashed bass players throughout these uh, these episodes, I'm pretty happy to hear that it was Beck playing the bass. <laughs> we, we did the same recently uh, on one of our little uh, three-track EPs for the last band we're in together where our good, good friend Phil was off having a kid. So I... 
played bass for the uh, for the recordings. <laughs> you had to play bass. I had to do his vocals. It's another example of bass players not pulling their weight. Now, <laughs> Phil, I don't care if you were having a kid. It's not good enough that you weren't there for our three-track demo for our band that had a couple hundred followers on Instagram and doesn't even exist anymore. How dare you? I, I let his little boy know all the time that he's the reason we broke up. <laughs> Every time I see his little face, I tell him. <laughs> you really let us down, man. And your dad's a bass player. So, you know, that, that kid's got some work to do to, to build some social capital. But oh, um, we're here today to talk about Glassjaw's worship and tribute in particular, because this is a record that meant so much to us. It's not completely attached to the scene in the sense that it's a full-on emo record. But without this record, it's hard to imagine that so many others that we loved would have come along. And the love that we have for it meant that we couldn't do a show like this without doing an episode on Glassjaw's worship and tribute. Now, it came out on the 9th of July, 2002. And I don't think I heard it till probably about 2004. It took a bit of time to you know, get the boat over from America all the way to <laughs> little Australia over here. But I think it did take me a little while to get into it. But I think that's testament to it. It took a couple of years to get to me and it's still held up. And here we are 20 years later talking about it. It's definitely held up. It's, it's one of those kind of foundational... Uh, records and bands I was a little bit more lucky that uh, Glassjaw was already sort of part of my listening experience from a very young age with uh, with old brother Tim uh, kind of bringing even everything you ever wanted to know about silence Tim had that one and played a lot of worship and tribute as well around the house and had that kind of cool old school I've mentioned it a million times with those old CD-ROMs that just had random film clips across them you know, maybe a bit of nudity here and there, but these <laughs> these weird kind of collections of film clips that I don't know where this stuff was even being ripped from because YouTube was definitely not a thing yet. Uh, Glassjaw featured a bit on there. So, yeah, kind of already knew about the band from even being like a 10, 11, 12-year-old. But it was Worship and Tribute, as you said. This was the one that as kind of aspiring emos, it was something about this record and something about the way I think Palumbo sings on this record that really drew us in more so uh, than anything else Glassjaw had done before. It was really a kind of great linking album between some of that earlier, you know, new metal or alt-rock stuff. You know, I, I was obviously hugely into Incubus and I found this not too far of a step from Incubus, especially early Incubus work. This isn't too far removed from that other than the way Palumbo sings. So... You know, it was it was kind of some similarities with some alt rock, a little bit of weird new metal still, but then this guy who was far more, you know, a little bit more whiny, a little bit more charismatic, you know, with his vocals that I think as guys that ended up going on to be massive bloody emos, there was something about the way he sang that just drew us in. His voice is incredibly unique and something that I realized this week is quite divisive, which I didn't realize because as soon as I heard it, I was like, I am on board. And I'll do a bit of a deep dive into his vocals and his influence on other vocalists a little bit later on, but certainly something that sticks out as soon as you hear this record. And I didn't realize that basically as soon as you hear Daryl, you're deciding whether you're into this band or not, because for me, it was an instant attraction. You know, it's a complete album worship and tribute from start to finish. It does have standout songs, but I loved it as a teen. I have a greater appreciation for that complete package as an adult. And given the name of this show, Violence and Sunshine, we're constantly looking for these records that display an ability to do both well and to bring it together. You know, some maybe do one or the other. Others might do both, but starkly contrast it. These guys 
are amazing at the ebbs and flows throughout this record, which are a little bit more present on this than the previous record, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence. But I think a great example of the violence on this record is one of the earliest songs, Tip Your Bartender. <laughs> Now, anyone that's familiar with that song knows that it also features a really cool... Pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. ...left-right guitar intro before that. And the unique guitar tones on this record are just so impressive. I love the guitar work of Justin Beck. He and the guitar are one. Like, you watch a live video of them, and he's swaying with it, moving with it, building these textures, building this wall of sound. And I think he's incredibly important to this band. On the other side, I also love Todd Weinstock's guitar work, and I think this is the band at its peak having two guitars playing off each other. And I do think this is the pinnacle of the band's lineup with dual guitars because it's not something that they still do to this day. But I absolutely love the heavy side of this record typified in that song. That song, I think, is probably the one that links uh, the closest with the the first record, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence. I've, it's got... Palumbo kind of screaming and yelling a bit more, which he doesn't do uh, a lot on this album, uh, Worship and Tribute. It's a little bit more refined, and they've also introduced some more chill songs to kind of break up the album along the way. I, I love that on a slight kind of flip of uh, interest somewhere we usually go on album, you mentioned there the, the guitars working off each other, and that's some of your favourite elements. For me, it's it's the drum sound. It it this, The drums on this album are so impressive and so intricate and without being uh, overproduced. Like they literally sound like you could be in the room live hearing the drums as they go. Like the snare sound is perfect. I love that I can hear the cymbals. Like I'm I'm pretty deaf and often don't, you know, drums can often just become a bit of a wash uh, in the mix sometimes for me where I can't quite distinguish everything that's going on. But when they're recorded like super live and crisp like this, I can hear everything and, and I love it and I love that how prominent the drums are across worship and tribute. It's probably my favourite thing outside of obviously listening to Palumbo do his thing. But yeah, I just really enjoyed listening to it this week. It brought back a lot of memories. In a way, these are the songs that we didn't really have much choice about how we felt about them. We weren't really consciously going out there and looking for new things. It was just this fortunate experience of this being the music around us, you know, whether it was older brothers or older friends or, you know, friends in bands or whatever, kind of sharing, you know, those CDs, those CD-ROMs and those CD-Rs took a lot of effort to download, to burn, <laughs> yeah. to share. So you really cherished them and your new effort had gone into it. So you continued that, you know, however illegal it might've been. It was integral <laughs> to the development of this scene. I think so many of these bands wouldn't change the way that fans stole and shared music because ultimately if it led to them coming to a concert, buying a shirt, buying a ticket, buying a vinyl record now. You know, vinyl records are 60 bucks plus. And those of us that didn't buy these CDs when they came out are now spending 65 bucks to get a record shipped, 80 bucks to see them play a show. And I think it's a, a long-term investment that really, really paid off. But we are so lucky to have had glass jaw around us. And as we continue to talk about their sonic appeal, you know, shifting from the violent side of their sound, they've also got this incredible ability to really slow it down and to be contemplative, to be thoughtful, to be spacey. And here's a little example of that now with Must Have Run All Day. If it makes you 
there are just so many layers to this record, so many approaches, so many sounds, so many things that get your attention. And I have adored listening to it again this week. It holds up probably better than it ever sounded when I was a kid. I think my adult ears are going, I love this. And you know, you mentioned that room sound, that drum sound. We've noticed that over the last few weeks, the real virtue of that, as we've been digging a little deeper and getting a little bit older with the records we're exploring, it's not these sample replaced drums. It's not these perfect sounds. It's near perfect because of the musicianship. And then it's incredible recording. And the producer on this record is Ross Robinson. And he's got Fear Factory to his name, Corn, Slipknot, At The Drive-In, and even later, from first to last, The Cure, The Used, Idiot Pilot. So this guy clearly knows what he's doing, you know, coming from such a metal background like Glassjaw did, and yet still having the skills to create this soundscape that goes up and down and back and forth. It's just beautiful. I agree, man. As as we get older, you appreciate these albums and these sounds more so. I think when we were younger, uh, we didn't really know any different. You know, we're just kind of like, this is an album. And then you'd maybe hear something that was far more produced. And being kids, we're like, oh, is, is that better? I think that's kind of better, isn't it? Like that sounds cleaner and, and whatever. But you get older and then you kind of listen back and you're like, no, this was incredibly well produced and and the guy producing them as well as the band knew exactly what they were doing everything has its place and that song that you just played uh that's probably more what i leaned into this week like i really really enjoyed listening to the more chill side of of the album and uh like you hear the kind of like you know like warming bass that kind of like waves in and out of a track like that and it could almost be like a radiohead song Uh, if you if you know you get tom york singing instead and and it could be it's it's a really really cool album that doesn't really sit into one particular genre or style like there's the the song on the album stuck pig uh that i sort of forgot about this track uh and then listening back this way and it could almost be a maylene song man like it's got everything going on for it that it's a southern rock song which is fucking wild and i love the way must have run all day which is so spacey goes directly into Stuck Pig. Like that transition from light to shade, sunshine to violence is just mwah, chef's kiss, man. I love it. It's so cool. And they do that throughout the album. There's, you never really know what's coming next. They are clearly, uh, you know, just kind of working with things as they go and everything had a, had a cool place. And it's just such a pleasure to listen to this album. It 100% holds up. Uh, it's one of, one of the best from the scene for sure. I don't think there's really a bad track on it. I prefer to listen to it in full. You know, there are the standout singles like Ape Dos Mill and things like that, but I do love it from start to finish. It's never a chore. It's never a drag. There's really interesting things going on at the back end with two tabs of mescaline and the Gillette Cavalcade of sports. The record doesn't ever stop being interesting. It doesn't stop providing things that make you pay attention and make you want to listen. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. Well, I think it's a good time to hear from our friend Greblo. I'm always intrigued when we do these slightly older bands because... I never knew quite when Greblo got into the scene, so always keen to hear his thoughts. So here is Shimfo with Greblo. Build a band, can we build it? No, we've been doing them wrong because none of our bands have the drummer from Glassjaw in them. He's so good. The band's so good. Oh, I love them. Judging by Skinny's mother-in-law's desktop background, she loves them too. And how good are you? They're sick. I mean, fuck head Automatica, though. That's like Columbo cut the legs off a good pair of skinny jeans for the summer. 
Um, but yeah, there, uh, I don't know if you remember, there's like a Warp, Fans Warp 2 DVD. It was pretty popular in the scene. Um, and it's like a stack of bands he was playing, but live music when it was recorded all the way back then often sounded pretty shit. As, and this DVD does, it's all pretty much trash. However, there are three songs or three bands that sound good. It's Face to Face, You've Done Nothing. A band called S-T-U-N. Uh, they've written it as an acronym. It might be Stun, I don't know, but it's that Space Between Our Bodies song. Oh, uh, man, put that song on. Me and my mate Rue, we'll have a good time. But the best song of the whole DVD, maybe like 50 bands, Thrice, Sum 41, No Effects, all of that. The best song of the whole DVD, Glassjaw, Ape Dos Mill. Well, Ape Dos Mill getting another mention there as a fantastic song. And also the drummers coming up there again. I think it's appropriate that we give the drummer of this era their flowers. The drummer on this record was Shannon Larkin, who was actually a session musician. And he's been in bands like Ugly Kid Joe, Amen, Snot, Godsmack. So not exactly this scene, but very much that kind of new metal scene that Glassjaw were attached to in the early days. So an incredible job on this record, but not actually ever Glassjaw's real drummer. Yeah, I'm glad you have pieced together the timeline to figure out that it was Shannon Larkin who drummed on this album because I was having a little look at the timeline on Wiki and just going like, fuck me, who was it? Like even like Justin Beck started as playing the drums when they started, like they're in their kind of like uh, in their early, early days. And then there's like four or five drummers and I'm trying to like look at the little bars on Wikipedia and figuring out. So I'm so glad that you are much better at researching than me. And it is Shannon who gets the shout out the drums on this album this band has had a lot of different members you know multiple drummers you've got drummers like sammy siegler and larry gorman who are new york hardcore legends who have been part of this band we've got incredible musicians we've got incredible musician i can't say this word <laughs> musicianship. we've got incredible musicianship across this band's discography but it's not always the same guys with the exception of daryl palumbo and justin beck you've got this rotating door we've even had members of taking back sunday in this band matt rubano has played bass and isaac bolivar currently plays bass so we're always talking about these venn diagrams and these crossovers with members of other bands glass sure it's so hard to keep up with because this band has had a lot of dudes in it. <laughs> they have they have and you might uh, have just done yourself a little bit of research without knowing it there because when we get to the quiz later on there might be a question kind of uh about members Ooh, and things so spicy you know we'll see what happens later on but uh yeah always good to, to hear from he mentions the what did he say my my mother-in-law's desktop computer yeah is Mr. Black. desktop background still glass jaw well erin was telling me this week that you know when i said we were doing glass jaw instantly she was just like oh my god like that was our desktop background on our home computer for ever she goes i can't remember there being a different background and uh and wendy her mum still does have that old school uh computer at home i don't think she uses it uh, she's, she's got like a laptop or ipad or something now but it's there and I, i'm pretty sure Anne was saying that if we turned it on she reckons glass jaw would still be would still be the background which is pretty cool <laughs> that is incredible i wonder if there's any of those amazing cdrs still in the cd oh, drive man, as well <laughs> it surely would be there's a bit of mushroom head in there <laughs> yeah mushroom head folder it's a pornography store obviously glass jaw have a really outstanding legacy for a band that only truly have a couple of records and really do still tour off the fame and reputation of those first couple of records and full credit to them it shows that they have left this 
influence on the scene. You know, Revolver Mag did an article called 10 Bands Who Wouldn't Exist Without Glassjaw. And some of the notable names on that were Every Time I Die, and Daryl did a guest spot on Champing at the Bit on Gutter Phenomenon. Touche Amore, Spirit Box, Stray From The Path. You know, these are bands that are presently succeeding with the exception of Every Time I Die before we knew that Keith Buckley was an extreme narcissist, <laughs> but otherwise succeeding and doing incredibly well, who credit Glassjaw for part of their existence. So I think that's a huge underrated legacy. I think people in the scene understand Glassjaw's importance, but I don't know if they get the kind of credit they deserve outside of it. And one of the other things that's so incredibly influential is Daryl Palumbo's voice. It's really unique. Like I said before, I didn't realize it was divisive. You're either going to like it or not as soon as you hear it. And it's different every time. Like I was talking to our friend Mike the other day about this and I was kind of lamenting that, that you never truly get like the recorded version of Ape Dos Mill live. You know, you never get to sing along quite the same way because he's either holding back or speeding forward or whatever he's doing. But I kind of learned to realize that that's part of his art, that he puts down whatever he's feeling that day and that's what comes out. He still sings the right words, but the flow and the output is going to be different based on how he's feeling that day. Now, you know that I love doing a deep dive and doing lots of research and finding out everything I can Dal Palumbo is not someone I want to know anything about. He is a don't meet your idols kind of guy. And not because he's a bad guy, but I don't know anything about him and I don't want to because I love this record so much. I love his voice and I do not want to ruin a single thing about that. You know, we keep finding so many douchebags in this scene, so many people where you have to either separate the art from the artist or do kind of mental gymnastics to explain how you still like them. I'm not doing this with Daryl. I downloaded podcasts this week, interviews with him to listen to. Couldn't do it, man. I'd get three minutes in. I'm like, I don't want to hear this guy. <laughs> I absolutely adore him. And I want to spend a bit of time talking about his vocals right now because there are copycats in the scene because he's an incredibly unique vocalist. People hear Glassjaw, they want to copy that music, they want to hear that voice. Now, he's not copied on the level of Anthony Green, for example. There isn't like a Daryl Palumbo voice arms race the way there is with the high singers, but there are a couple of standouts in the scene who have been attached to Glassjaw in a vocally influenced sense that I want to explore now. And these are both bands that I absolutely adore and I think completely get away with it. One of which is Let Live. Now, the singer Jason Butler, we've seen Let Live Live, is currently in a band called Fever 333. There's so many parallels with Daryl Palumbo and Jason Butler from the energy, the intellect, the emotion, the singing and screaming, wearing their hearts on sleeves. So I don't think it's that absurd to kind of go, yeah, there's an influence there. They're allowed to have that connection. It's not a copy. It's not a plagiarism. It's still someone singing from the heart, but there's definitely a bit of similarity there. So I'm going to play a little bit of Let Live now, see if you can hear the similarities. So if you're familiar with Glassjaw, it would be hard to not hear the similarities in there. Some of the flourishes, some of the phrasings, but Let Live is so goddamn good and Jason's still doing his own thing. Yeah, I think that's the good thing where you were talking about you've got Anthony Green and then people that basically did just outright kind of copy and try and imitate the voice. Then you've got Palumbo, who was just a huge influence on the scene and certain singers who kind of tapped into that. But only at times, they're still there, their own singer, they got their own sound 
even the band themselves are playing kind of different music whereas i guess with anthony green it was hard because some of the stuff he was doing early on with sayus and the singers that were trying to emulate or copy his voice the music was also somewhat similar so you were really finding it hard to be like oh geez these guys are really just kind of doing what we've heard before whereas a band like let live are completely unique music wise they're doing their own thing and it's just kind of more of like a tribute you know here's here's me kind of like tapping into a palumbo-esque style of singing as more of a tribute to the guy and a band like Glassjaw as opposed to a, a blatant ripoff. This is just a tribute. Another band that also kind of around the same time had a bit of connection with Glassjaw in terms of influence was Lower Definition, a much lesser known Ferret Records band who have some connections with Dance Gavin Dance. Their drummer is also the drummer of Mice and Men and have recently actually got back together, which is really exciting. Their lead singer, Matt Geis has also at times been kind of noted as having similarities to Daryl Palumbo. And in my opinion, I think he's inspired by Daryl for sure, but absolutely doing his own thing. So I'm going to play a little bit of lower definition now. When I first heard Lower Definition, it was the similarity to Daryl Palumbo that hooked me in. But instead of going like, oh, fuck, he's copying them. I'm not doing that. I went, ooh, new glass jaw in a way. <laughs> and very soon you realize they're doing their own thing. But there's absolutely similarities there. There is similarities. And, and I probably hear them a little bit more there in, in Lower Definition than Let Live. But again, a bit like you, like I don't not like it. Like I think... Uh, Palumbo's voice and phrasing and style is so comforting that hearing another singer do something similar just gives me the same vibes like I'm not there going like ah fuck that it's a bit of a ripoff or a bit of a copycat I'm just like no this also sounds good this singer is also able to kind of sing in this style and I like it I was never that much of a lower definition fan but uh that even just that little snippet's got me a bit intrigued to maybe listen to a bit more because that sounded sick. <laughs> They're really, really good and completely underrated, but definitely two bands that have been attached to the sound of Daryl. Daryl obviously has an incredibly unique voice, and it would be remiss of me right now after mentioning Ape Dos Mill, mentioning these similar sounding singers to not play a little bit of Daryl as well. Give the fans what they want, man. Give them what they want. So here's a little bit of Ape Dos Mill by Glassjaw. Yeah, it's all you can bet in me. I'm with Grablo, like that's still my favourite song and I don't care. You kind of gave us a little bit there from the song that is really showcasing Daryl and his voice. There's another little bit from the, that particular song that I just want to say uh, we should play because I, I think this might trump Understanding in a Car Crash by Thursday as potentially the best snare sample from the scene. So let's just listen to this very small section of Ape Dos Mill again and see if it gives you shivers like it does for me. There it is, man. That that double snare after Palumbo goes for that soaring note, it almost sounds like it's triggered 
uh, like a little trigger on the snare to just go, it's fucking awesome. Again, just showcasing my love of the drums across this album. But I don't know, for me, I reckon that might trump the uh, the catchy little double snare from Thursday. But I don't know about you, but I just fucking love it. But we've, uh, you know, we've gushed over our love of Palumbo in his time with uh, Glassjaw, but we also then kind of weirdly several years uh, later after getting into Worship and Tribute, we were pleasantly surprised to hear Palumbo's voice come up again in this scene. And it was from him kind of stepping away a bit from Glassjaw and doing his project Head Automatica. And this was something that just kind of like, came up in the scene I didn't really know what was coming it just kind of was all of a sudden there and another way that we could kind of hear Palumbo and hear his vocal work I'm very interested to hear your thoughts on just kind of what you thought about him and his time with Head Automatica and whether you think it kind of stands up as well as we've just said that Glassjaw has. It was kind of frustrating at the time because Glassjaw couldn't seem to exist because of his health issues and then Head Automatica popped up. And then you're like, oh, but Beating Heart Baby is a really fucking good song. It's so, so good. I loved listening to it this week. But I'm curious if you want to gush over this record at all before I go nuts because I fucking hated listening to it this week. It's hardly even music. It just sounds like crap. There are so many bad songs on it. Brooklyn is Burning, Please, 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 King Caesar... There's a few decent ones like The Razor, which is basically a post-hardcore song. Dance Party Plus with Sherry Dupree and Tim Armstrong is all right. But it devolves into this awful self-indulgent wank fest. This was not ahead of its time. You know, we ended up in the electro-pop indie dance nightclubs around this time and for the following years. This wasn't there. Like, this wasn't like, oh, these guys are ahead of their time. We don't understand it. It was one good song. It was Beating Heart Baby to me. I hated listening to Head Automatica this week. Man, I totally agree. It is so fucking boring. Oh. Beating Heart Baby, amazing, really cool, catchy track. We, uh, I think we've mentioned it before where a bit of a, a dual crush of ours had it on her MySpace <laughs> as yep. her song. Uh, so just another reason to uh, like, like that song. It's awesome. It's catchy. It's really, really cool. Pretty cool. And then that's where it ends for Decadence. Decadence as an album is boring. I did try and push myself a little bit and, and went on and listened to a bit of Propaganda, the, the album that came out after, an album that I hadn't listened to back when we were younger, but thought, oh, you know, I'll give, them, give it a chance. What's it got? It's probably worse, man. Graduation Day may be the worst song I've ever heard. It's really bad, man. And it had this kind of moment on the album where, you know those bands where the title of the song is the song? In a sense of the title of the song is the chorus. Man, there's two back-to-back songs on that album, one called Scandalous and then one called Curious, and literally the choruses are just the words. So Scandalous is just like, <laughs> it's just like this slow down version of just like, you're so scandalous, you're so scan. <laughs> and then Curious is next and it's just like, I'm still curious. <laughs> and then it is just like your ears are bleeding. It's poor writing. It's boring. I hate that Palumbo is attached to it because it is just kind of pretty awful, man. It's really shit. Oh, come on. That music sounds like shit. I'm pretty sure graduation day is just graduation yeah, day. It is, man. It is. Graduation yes. day. They just you name a song and then just repeat that word in the chorus and yeah. that's your chorus. And it is just the <laughs> slackest songwriting and it's so boring. And 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 it's it's I hate that 
I, I just hate that he is heavily you know he's, he did two albums with head automatica and then glassjaw only have three and i'm just like oh if only you could find a way to have done no head automatica i would even be happy for beating heart baby to not be a song and have more glassjaw uh i i think most people would agree with that i don't like shitting on people's art too much you know we've reflected on that and gone that's not the aim of the show but this isn't very good particularly when you think about how good Beating Heart Baby is. It's just like they lured us in, put the fishing rod out there, baited us with this amazing song. You're like, yeah, I'm into Head Automatica. I'm into Glassjaw not existing anymore. This is fine. And it wasn't. But let's take a second to wind ourselves down a bit because I'm running hot. <laughs> let's take a little listen to Beating Heart Baby. gotta say that snare roll gets me as well oh man that snare roll is sick that that song is awesome like it's just so frustrating that you know that song's like a 10 and then i don't know if there's another song that that gets above a two Two. like (laughs) it's really it's just a huge fall from grace from one song to the it's two albums worth you know we're talking about 25 or so other songs that that i don't even get any joy out of even apart from them and then you've got one song as, as an entire song that's awesome and, and really, really cool. Pretty cool. I just really don't quite get it. I, I don't quite get how they were able to write one really, really nice song that was cool to listen to. Uh, Palumbo's voice is sick on it. Does kind of all the cool things from that kind of electro pop sort of scene. And then that's it. Beating Heart Baby. It holds up. It's an incredible song. Head Automatica itself, though, can go in the bin. And that's enough of that. All right, dude, so I think it's a good time to lighten the spirits a bit after shitting on Net Automatica a bit. Would you like to play a game? Let's do it, man. Skinny is this quiz for real. I try my best to answer, yeah. The quiz is from your heart, skinny. The quiz is from your heart, skinny. Skinny is this quiz for real. I try my best to answer, yeah. The quiz from your heart, skinny. The quiz from your heart, skinny. <laughs> oh, dude, another absolute banger from the Pole Factory. Loving it. A uh, little disappointed you didn't try and... Uh, ooh, what is this? What is going on here? Do we have a mystery guest joining this quiz? Who is coming into our chat here? All that, oh. oh. I think our mystery guest has joined us. Hello, mystery guest. How are we, boys? Mate, it is so nice to hear your voice. It is our good friend Fleecy from the Baccio Death Trip podcast. Also someone on this show's brother-in-law, but that's less important. How nice it is to see your face. What a way to spend a Sunday morning. <laughs> True psychos record on Sundays. <laughs> How many runs have you been on today, though? No, no, no. I went on a 10K yesterday just to see um, how I felt, and I ran to Stone Sour. What a, what a beautiful <laughs> way to start the weekend. The first Stone Sour album ends with Corey Taylor's spoken word. Oh, oh my goodness. Really, just as you're sort of struggling you know, at the end, that'll really give you the boost you need. That is delightful. Your running playlist is a thing of beauty, and I think you need to post your running playlist for other runners uh, just to prove how much of a fucking weirdo you are. <laughs> we made a running program with, like, four or five separate playlists, like a slow run and a fast run and all that sort of stuff. So 
that's up there on the High Tech Bite Show Death Trip website. Does uh, does Glassjaw or Head Automatica feature on the running playlist? Head Automatica Beating Heart Baby would be maybe on an interval playlist. Rai Rai's song would probably be up there. There's fuck all from Worship and Tribute, really. I don't think that's a very good running album. Well, the reason uh, the reason I've asked a guest to join us is I was really fucking struggling this week on what the quiz could be about because not much was coming to mind. Uh, but I was riffing with Ez and kind of just kept coming back to Glassjaw as the name and sort of the, the general internet definition of Glassjaw is a vulnerability as a boxer to knock out punches. So I thought, let's do a quiz. Boxing match. Could, you, yeah, <laughs> boxing match. You guys, head to head, three rounds, your buzzer, Paul, you are red corner, is your buzzer. Reese, you are blue corner, that's your buzzer. I'll be asking a series of uh, questions over three rounds and you basically land a punch for every kind of question you get right. So basically what I'm gathering is when you're desperate, you go to me. You know, which yes. is the story yes. of all of my high school experiences. <laughs> I'm glad you could do it. I'm glad just like us, you had nothing going on a Sunday. That's it. All right. I'm putting you guys down on a piece of paper here. It's very technical stuff. Mm, you guys are high tech. And then we're going to get to it. So uh, let's get it. We're going to start with round one, and these are boxing-related questions. So are you guys ready? I'm ready. Blue corner, yes. Yeah, your blue corner. And your red corner, Paul, because the cord from your mic is red, so that's the best I could get. Beautiful. And I have an Eiffel 65 neck tattoo. (laughs) Uh, Okay, round one. Question one. What was Muhammad Ali's birthday? Red corner. Oh. Oh, fuck, that was quick. Yes. Red corner. Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay is correct. That's a little uh, little right jab there. I actually the, dodged uh, that one. Like I bent backwards <laughs> like the Matrix. <laughs> there is a bonus combo question attached to it for Paul to go one, two, but you can still buzz in, Reese, and that would be like you blocking the fucking punch. So which UK indie rock band had a hit song? Cassius. Red corner. Oh, fuck. Oh. Red corner. Quick. Falls. Bold is correct. Yes. There we go. And I only know that because we did that Dance Gavin Dance episode where you mentioned Falls. I'd never heard them before. Oh, and there went you go. Ex- exclusively listened to that song. All right, question two. What was the name of the product promoted by two-time world? Blue Corner. Oh, Blue Corner's coming ah, early. Yeah. Yes, Blue Corner. Is it the George Foreman Grill? It is the George Foreman grill. <laughs> little left jab Uppercut. There. That's an uppercut. That's a little uppercut. That's not. Well, this one might be the uppercut because there's another bonus combo question. Can you name the full name of the product, the George Foreman grill? Does anyone want to have a go? You'll land a punch. Red corner. Yes, red corner. The George Foreman lean, mean, fat grilling machine. Oh, my goodness. It is, you've only missing one word, so I think ah. I'm going to give it to, I'm going to give it to, it's the George Foreman Lean Mean Fat Reducing Grilling Machine. Oh, you shit. You don't get points for almost landing a punch in boxing. <laughs> I'm giving a little, hug. it's a little glance. It's a knuckle scraped you. Well done, uh, Paul. Little two and a half punches landed to one. Uh, question three <laughs> in this boxing related question round one. Which boxer infamously bit the ear of his opponent? In a double corner. corner. Oh, I have blue corner first. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson is correct. He did bite his opponent's Evander ear. Evander Holyfield. Oh, 
I was just about to ask the bonus combo question. Illegal hit, illegal hit. I illegal hit? Looking. That might be a hit to the Nothing. groin. That's uh, straight to the nutsack. Wow. I'm going to give, actually, uh, let's be fair. I'm going to give a little half point, another little half point there to uh, to Blue Corner. So it's two and a oh, half Is Blue punches. Corner going to accept half points now? <laughs> yeah, I accept them now. Now he wants the half points. There we go. The glancing blows. Who released the chocolate bars that were shaped like Evander Holyfield's ears? <laughs> no, did, did anyone do Somebody that? did. Yeah, you could bite into them. Like, no, that, was the thing. that is wild. It was Mike Tyson that created them. They were called like Mike Bites or something like that. Mike do you want to know what's bites. even better? <laughs> They're cannabis edibles. That's what makes them even <laughs> more cool. Pretty cool. All right, round two, fellas. Uh, this is round two, the Tim Howard round. <laughs> so I'm going with Tim Howard questions here because Tim Howard was the guy that showed me Glassjaw, so thought we'd give him a little shout out here. You don't have to worry about your buzzer here. You're just going to take in turns. And because I'm kind, I'm going to let our mystery guests go first. Uh, and you're just going to give me an answer. Every answer you get right gets you a point. So the question is to name as many bands that Tim Howard has played in. You can only give me one band at a time and then it will go to your opponent. So, mystery guest, can you name a Tim Howard band? Face First. Yes, Face First is correct. Well done, Blue Corner. That's a punch. Over to you, Red Corner. I'm going to struggle with this one, so I'm going low-hanging fruit. I'm going Eye Level Eye. Eye Level Eye. He's landed a punch. Back to you, mystery guest. I want to say Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu is correct. That is on the list. Red Corner. Dead River. He played drums. He did. Dead River is on the list, provided by the great man himself. Back to you, Mr. Guest. He was in Sleepfield. He was in Sleepfield with you. Well done. Glad you remembered that one. What did he do in it? Well, he played bass sometimes, and then when he couldn't do it, Dwayne Jackson from Leechseed filled in, and it was at a Girton show where Tim just never showed up that I decided to turn my snare upside down and run a stick <laughs> up and down it to, to mimic the sound of a DJ scratching. So you were saying that Tim Howard was an integral musical influence to you, because if he had to come that day, you might not have turned that snare upside down. No, nah, I'd, I'd planned to do it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've run it over in my mind a few times and it's like that Doctor Strange thing where I'd seen all possibilities. All outcomes were incredible. All outcomes saw me just getting like cheered out of the venue as a pioneer of music. All right, Paul, can you land any more punches? At this point, I'm sorry, I've got to, I've got to tap out. He's tapping out. All right. This might be your huge round here, uh, Reese. You've already landed three punches to two, but can you name any more? Ah, oh, fuck. Um... He has a pair of shorts. With uh, one of these bands on the basketball shorts. He wears it a lot. Oh, it'd be some sort of hardcore band. It is. It is. There's a few. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to time out the round on I that question. I think I'm out, yeah. I'm out of You're gas. You're out as well. So other bands were The Bullet Never Lies. Uh, we also had Drive the Nail and Terror Hawks. There we are. So for those playing at home, some of your favorite bands, I'm sure, uh, were mentioned there. Bands that you uh, fucking adore and love. But uh, yeah, well, well fought out, boys. Uh, we'll move on. Question two in this round. Uh, you do need to buzz back in again with your corner. So Tim plays both guitar and bass, but one is right-handed and one is left-handed. Which is which? red corner? Ah, oh. yes, red corner. Bass right-handed and guitar left-handed. That is correct. He yes. does play bass right and guitar left due to a weird bowed broken arm. Yeah, he can't quite reach the chords when he plays guitar, so he had to learn how to play guitar. Can I counter punch? Oh, counter punch! Oh, here we go, extra extra punches. He also on the bass, if he was to play an F on the E string, 
He plays it with his thumb. I swear I've asked him this before and I think he says that's not correct. I don't know. I fucking <laughs> care. All right, round. All right, next boxing match is with Tim Howard and me and it's real because I guarantee I tried it. And I was like, why do you do that? Yeah, I swear I've asked him that before and I think he categorically denies playing the F note with his thumb. But uh, your memory is usually Ask pretty me sharp. If I peed so. my pants in grade three. I'm going to deny it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's just as embarrassing. Everybody my age is their pants. It's the coolest. Uh, no bonus points. The uh, adjudicator has uh, awarded no bonus punches there to uh, Blue Corner. And you've just really got to get in line a bit, mate. Just, um, you know, <laughs> just uh, you're a bit excited here this morning on your Sunday morning, firing off accusations fair, about my fair. older brother. You take it easy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, question three. The final question in the Tim Howard round, uh, buzzing in again. What are the words tattooed on Tim Howard's knuckles? Red corner. Oh, oh red corner is in. Yes, red corner. It's got to be once only. It is once only. Well done. That is what he has tattooed. I asked Erin this and she couldn't remember. So she said something awful. I don't know, like family first party or something. But <laughs> <laughs> no, no, she didn't say that. She didn't say that. Craig Kelly. <laughs> oh man oh. well an extra punch landed there for red corner it's some amount of punches to some other amount of punches going into the third round i'll add them up at the end but we'll move on to the final round round three and this is the glass jaw round so we'll see how you go you got to buzz in here uh glass jaw when trying to come up with their name were really kind of intrigued by bands that were mashing like two words into one. You're just mashing it now. So before settling on Glassjaw, what did they almost go with? Red Corner. Oh, Red Corner. It's going to have a stab. Eye Level Eye. <laughs> it's not Eye Level Eye. Uh, blue Corner. I want to see eh? Paul's eyes. I can see him typing as we fucking speak. I can see that dog. I can see him cheating. <laughs> no, that's a pass. <laughs> I'm, I'm resting, I'm recuperating, I'm getting my, my rhythm back. The answer to the question I had was swift kick uh, uh, was what they almost went with as all one word. I'm pretty glad they didn't go with swift kick. Yeah, fuck yeah. It's, it's pretty bad, actually. <laughs> but uh, all right, this one will be both of you uh, allowed to give an answer. And as uh, Paul from Red Corner is in the lead, uh, he's going to get to guess first. And closest wins, closest lands the punch here. So how many former members have there been in Glassjaw? Red Corner. Ooh. Are you counting the touring and session members or just the formal members? Touring session members, no. This is just from the timeline image on Wiki. The members who are listed as being in Glassjaw, I excluded the current uh, drummer, Chad Hasty or Hasty. He's out. It's just former members. I'm going to go with 11. 11. And uh, Riso Riso, what's your guess? I don't think it was that. I'm going to say four. Only four former members of Glassjaw. Well, you are not a fan. The points go to Paul. It is 10. What? Uh, is the correct answer. 11 if you do include uh, Chad Hasty as the, as the current drummer. But it is 10. Is it all bass players? Former, <laughs> it's a lot of drummers, uh, a lot of bass players. Yeah, 10 former members. Paul did uh, previously just kind of mention the. Uh, that there were a lot of former members earlier in the episode, which you weren't a part of. So he did get a little bit of an unfair advantage there, but I don't give a shit. He lands the punch. Yeah, Lennox Lewis, Lennox, I'm coming for you. Here we are. We have one final question in round three. I'm not sure Mystery Guest can come back here, but it would be quite 
the punch to land. It is. You need to buzz in to have your attempt at singing the opening lines from Ape Dos Mill. Blue Corner. Did you just say Blue Corner? I'm buzzing in for him. I want to hear him sing it. I've been doing podcasting long enough that if Paul gets an audio grab of me singing, that's coming back in a remix. That's coming back. I, I'm bowing out. No, I know you when can't on the bow towel. out. Oh, my goodness. I, I know. I, although I would like Paul to have a go and then I can How have the grab. How about all three of us do it together? Uh, there's no way Reese is doing it. <laughs> Look at him. He's even stepped away from the microphone. Three, two, one. Yeah, Tove, you can bet in mid-October I will still be ranting about Mustelli May. <laughs> That's very, very good there, Paul. You're definitely landing a punch. I think you got the majority of the lyrics correct there from what I've got written down. So the final tally is what have we got here? Eight and a half punches for Paul landed to Reese's face hole and Reese was only able to land five and a half punches to Paul's face hole. There was a groin punch or two in there, but that is the end of the <laughs> bout. And I believe Red Corner has taken that one out. But, I mean, I left with dignity. <laughs> with your balls held high, you leave with a bit of dignity. Finally. I didn't come in with any. Um, while we do have mystery guests here, we, uh, as a couple of bloody emos, kind of skipped ahead and just gushed over worship and tribute. But for our listeners and for you to do the heavy lifting for us, do you want to just give us... Your quick thoughts on everything you ever wanted to know about Silence, which I believe is your preferred Glassjaw album. I think probably similar to the reason you guys like Worship and Tribute, it's what you heard first. And you're like, oh, that's what I sort of think the band is. Uh, and I, everything you ever wanted to know about Silence was such a powerful, raw, messy album. Like you can hear Daryl sort of cough and spit between vocal lines. It sort of came out of nowhere. Like the first track I ever heard was a, the self-titled track. And that was on some random Metal Hammer or Kerrang! sampler CD. And I was like, what is this song? And the first like few minutes of that song are really bizarre. Like, I don't know what's going on with that drum beat. And then when that massive chorus comes in after the screaming chorus almost, that was like, fuck, that hit me right in like, you know, the solar plexus, much like the previous boxing match I just was beaten up in. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been chasing that dragon ever since, like in, in not just Glassjaw, but all other music. And, and some other bands have come close to it. Face First comes to mind. But nothing on Worship and Tribute landed as much because it's a much more polished record. It's on a big major label. I think everything was sort of recorded with a lot of anger and hate and misguided lyrics, absolutely. And Worshipman Tribute was much a, like a much more focused record, but I found like there wasn't enough sort of edges for me to grab onto. I found it a bit too smooth. And when I grab onto that, I, I kind of slip off, you know. I can appreciate that it's great, but it doesn't have the, the edge that I would look for on the first Glassjaw album. Big fan of you too, aren't you? And subsequent <laughs> Glassjaw albums have sort of lost that even more. Now you can tell, I think, that they, they ride around a drum beat now and the drum beat's like some flashy sort of drum fill that's sort of looped through a verse. And I just think everything was working for them on that, everything you ever want to know about science. You also had Ross Robinson probably like throwing flower pots at them. And while he produced Worship and Tribute, I think he'd sort of toned it down maybe because some HR departments were like, you really don't need to like wrap people in barbed wire just to get a few backing tracks, man. So I know, I just think it was a, it was, there was a bunch of energy and passion and, you know, songs like 
piano for a bit of breathing room and so on. Like I still don't like Stuck Pig and I, I still don't like a few other things on Worship and Tribute. Like I can almost skip the opening track, Tip Your Bartender. Interesting, because we were saying just before that, uh, like, I sort of felt that was the one that was maybe most similar to the earlier stuff, but I only really gave uh, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence a couple of uh, brief listens through this week. And I, I think the the thing that was most intriguing for me was, although everything was written about it being quite a, you know, a new metal type of album, I didn't really hear many new metal elements on it at all. I reckon it is far more kind of melodic hardcore than anything else yeah i don't agree with the new metal I, they didn't agree with it at the time either and that's why they split with roadrunner like they cut ties pretty abruptly to go to warner brothers just it was in that time when roadrunner was signing and releasing everything and so just you know you imagine just their sort of press release chain it's like email all these people we're doing a new band it's called Glassjaw. we've just done down the sun you know, next album's going to be Fear Factory, Digimortal or something like that. It's like, well, Glassdoor probably fit in with that. Glassdoor are always a post-hardcore band. They made it a point to be like, we're Long Island hardcore. We're hardcore, you know. They would have fit in a lot better with Hot Water Music and At The Drive-In and that sort of stuff. But sadly around that time, it was everything was sort of through a new metal lens, you know, uh, especially if you're on Roadrunner, produced by Ross Robinson. And I think a lot of it comes down to lazy journalism and I learned this really, really early on because on the Bendigo Bands Forum, we were posting just about this made-up band called Boraline, which was my friend Mangan's made-up band, and it was an anagram of uh, Oral Ben. Sorry, Ben. And the guy from Frog, Frog in the Sock was working for the advertiser, and we noticed he started putting things in the paper because he was just like, I don't know any news. I'll just go on Bendigo Bands Forum. And so we just started to plant things in the story. And so I ran this sort of show called uh, Trody McChrode and the Uncut Charlies. And hyped them up as this big band from the USA, booked them. I like I made this fake, uh, I think I was in like year 11 or 12, and I made this fake email address as this promoter, and I got like as interviews in the Addy and oh Forte. And, yeah, it was pretty great. Oh uh, and then it was just like me and my friend Owen with a djembe just like <laughs> <laughs> just trying to rap. It was so horrendous. But you can easily sort of like – guide the press because they're busy. They get so many press releases. If you can give them heaps of stuff to copy and paste, they'll do it and they don't really care. But if one magazine or article labels you new metal, the rest just sort of follow suit, whether that's true or not. With your skills there, I think there's definitely a future job in Clive Palmer's United Party. You can just uh, fudge the press a little bit and get some more votes going that way. There's a, there's a, there's a future in those skills for you, mate. Yeah, all I'm saying is that music's at 440 hertz, as is the frequency of Saturn. And when they combine, it makes a pentagram on Saturn <laughs> which then directs the WHO to buy all our medical rights. So just allegedly research and yeah, blanket alleged research and do your own thinking guys, you know, don't listen to the mainstream media. Listen to some maniac who dropped out of year 11 at Catholic college on telegram. He's the Oracle. That's incredible <laughs> advice. And on that note, I think it's important that we direct our listeners to your wonderful glass jaw episode about everything you ever wanted to know about silence, but your death trip, look it up on your favorite podcast apps and even your least favorite ones. Cause it's probably on that too, but you guys have done a really special deep dive on a record that meant a lot to you and it's well worth a listen. It's a great episode. Thanks. All right, boys. I'm out, but uh, yeah, thank you for having me and appreciate it. Can't wait to hear the episode. Always a pleasure. Have a good one, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining us. Peace. Well, what a delight to have our good friend Reese join us there for that special uh, game and uh, punches were landed. But at the end of the day, I think you two come out great mates 
And just a special shout out and thanks to my wonderful wife, Erin, for pretty much coming up with the entire premise for that game because I was stuck this week, but that worked out really well. Behind every great man is an even greater woman and we're both lucky to have wonderful women behind <laughs> us. So mad love to Erin, mad love to Reese, and to that whole wonderful family. I don't have friends. I got family. Reese mentioned there the issues that Glassjaw had with Roadrunner Records and it was quite well documented at the time. Roadrunner released Glassjaw's first record, Everything You Ever Wanted to Know About Silence, and then they moved to Warner Brothers, the major label. If you just saw that for what it was, you're like, oh yeah, they got picked up by a major, it makes sense. But Glassjaw actually have a very acrimonious relationship with Roadrunner. They tell people not to buy their first record. They talk openly about how much they hate Roadrunner record and their business practices. They've said things about how, you know, they don't care about bands that aren't cash cows. They had Slipknot and Nickelback and they're the only bands that money went into. Even the second that Slipknot's album wasn't as successful as they wanted to be, they turned their back on them as well. So they are very, very vocal about people not supporting Roadrunner in general, not buying their original album and not buying the re-release as well because they say that they do not want that label to make any money. Beep, beep. So a wonderful game. It was awesome to hear from Reese. We've covered so much with Worship and Tribute and then also went into Head Automatica as well. But side projects are a big part of the music scene and they're not always successful as in our opinion, Head Automatica was not successful. But there are many, many great side projects or bands that shoot out of other bands. What are some that come to mind for you that you really enjoy? Some of my favorites, are, you know, Ben Gibbard from Death Cab uh, doing Postal Service. Uh, an absolute standout for me. Dallas Green from Lex on Fire doing City in Color. Uh, both of those uh, works continue for him, which is really, really cool. Uh, Imogen Heap, bit of a, you know, indie darling doing Fru Fru. Um, loved listening to all that stuff and her voice is so fucking cool. Um, back when I was, you know, getting into my early indie stuff. Uh, similarly, Leslie Feist uh, was sort of already doing solo work under her surname Feist before joining broken social scene and then continuing with both and then i guess to a slightly lesser extent of being a side project but even anthony green doing sayerson and then going on to do circus survive and his solo stuff damon Alburn from blur doing gorillas alex turner from arctic monkeys doing the last shadow puppets you know these were some of the ones that kind of came to mind for me this week and really the key for me was like the the side project had to be good you know not necessarily better than the previous but at least had to kind of be has to hold its comparable own. At time. yeah it had to hold its own it had to be worth more than just oh i'm listening to this just because i want to hear dallas green's voice it's just like that's not enough it's like city color as a band in itself and the songs they're writing do they hold up and i think they do so they're kind of some of my standouts uh what about you Oh man, you mentioned some fantastic ones and some of those are on my list as well, but my list got so out of control that I've got to do this thing to a countdown. So let's hit the tick. You mentioned the Postal Service. Any real emo loves Death Cab and any real Death Cab fan loves the Postal Service. They've only released one album and it's still the best 20 years on. You also mentioned The Last Shadow Puppets, Alex Turner from the Arctic Monkeys, music video directed by Richard Aowati from the IT Crowd. Even my mum likes this one. Another one you mentioned, Gorillaz. When I was a kid, I thought Oasis was better than Blur. Turns out it doesn't matter because Gorillaz are incredible. A Perfect Circle, a tool side project formed by Billy Howardale featuring Maynard James Keenan way better than Tool, don't at me. <laughs> Travelling Wilburys, I can't get past the names in this band. Orbison, Petty, Harrison, Dylan, Mind Blown. 
Isles and Glaciers, Scene Supergroup, The Damned Things. Before we knew how much of a narcissist Keith Buckley was, he started a band with guys from Fallout Boy and Anthrax. We've got Audio Slave, who were just amazing. Rage Against the Machine still reigns supreme, but boy, did I love Audio Slave. RIP Chris Cornell. And Blank Expression. <laughs> now, you might not realize that this was a side project, but they lived in the shadow that was Jimmy Tony. And on that note... <laughs> you left me here alone to cry Myself To sleep To drown In tears Why did you run away? Why can't you stay with me? So there are nine of my favorite side projects, a couple that you mentioned, a couple you didn't, and of course, the outstanding talent that is Jimmy Tony, because Blank Expression really was a side band of Jimmy Tony's solo career. It, it was, man, and uh, I think the listeners are grinning from ear to ear after getting to listen to that again. We're really giving them what they want. Back to back, baby, last week and this week. <laughs> Who knows, might pop up again. I think it'll definitely pop up again. <laughs> we have all the say here. It's just you and me doing this, man. We'll play it fucking every week. <laughs> oh, man. Some absolute standout uh, side projects there um, from you, though. If anyone hasn't heard any of those, go check them out. Um, but, yeah, man, I think we've kind of covered what Glassjaw meant to us. One head automatica song, what it meant to us. Uh, but I haven't really got much else to add about this band. Uh, what about you? Anything you want to sign off on before we wrap up? I'm incredibly content. I love Glassjaw. Yeah, Glassjaw are sick. Check them out. Go back and listen to this stuff. If if just like us, it had maybe been a few years, Worship and Tribute is 20 years old, so for a lot of you, you maybe haven't listened to it in a while. It fucking holds up and it's still just as good. Yep, totally, man. Awesome band. So that's it for this week's episode. Uh, thanks so much to everyone who's been listening. Uh, new and old listeners, we thank you all. As always, check us out on Instagram, at Violence and Sunshine. That's where we post everything uh, about the pod, upcoming episodes, links to our companion playlist on Spotify. Uh, if you haven't already subscribed to whatever platform you listen on, do that to get the episodes as they drop. And spread the word. Tell a friend about what we're doing. We're really enjoying it and love to hear from you all. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you join us next week when we'll be exploring Dashboard Confessional. I'm Paul. And I'm Nick. How could you heal if you don't ease back the blame? I've got a fucking crying cat outside of my door. One sec. Yeah. <laughs> Lizzie! Lizzie! She's in now. Hello, hello. Oh, that's definitely making the cut. <laughs>